Fasten your seatbelts. It's gonna be a bumpy night. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We're two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So, what have you been watching this week, Tatum? Anything good? Well, Geneva, thank you for... (laughs) Inviting me to this <laughs> wonderful recording that you have going on here. Oh, my. It's like you're trying to do a mid-Atlantic uh, 1950s announcer voice to kind of get us into the mood. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is just how I always talk. <laughs> Henceforth. <laughs> Rally, my dear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, wait, we already said that. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I have not watched anything this week. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead Jenny, but I watched all that and that's it yeah I watched very few things this week I've been doing I mentioned in my in the last episode just started a Mad Men rewatch and that's been taking up a lot of my watching time because turns out that show is very addictive um and it's really fun going through it a second time around and seeing so many things that catching so many things that I didn't catch the first time around um seeing where the characters start from, you know, because I I remember where they end up and I, I don't necessarily remember things about where their arc starts. And yeah, this show is just, it's so good. <laughs> I feel like we don't talk enough about how good Mad, Mad Men is. It's just absolutely flawless writing and acting and characterization and the setting, the way they weave real life events into the story, the way that they talk about advertising and the psychology behind it um the way it's almost an art form for don and for his team and the way they are able to construct the particular products that they're advertising and the the ideas behind their campaigns and how those weave into the themes of each episode is just it's some of the best um It's one of the best show about the process of making art that I've ever seen. It's just so well constructed. And yeah, I'm just absolutely in in awe of that show. Um, I think... Oh, go ahead. I think I've told you this story before, I think. But so Mm -hmm. that show is really meaningful to me for lots of reasons, but two main ones. The first one being that... So that was the first show that I ever binged. So I watched Mm. it in college, my freshman year. I will never forget. It was my freshman year of college. I think there were five seasons out at that point. Mm. And I started that show because everyone was talking about it at the time, which it's sad that people don't really talk about it that much anymore. But I literally started watching it and I was obsessed. I watched five seasons of that show in one week. Like (laughs) I, I would go to class and then after class, I would go back to my dorm and I would watch Mad Men until until one in the morning. And then I'd wake up for class and I'd go to class and I'd go home and watch <laughs> Mad Men. So I literally watched uh-huh. five seasons of that show in one week. Oh, my and my goodness. roommate was like, are you OK? And I said, I'm more than OK. <laughs> These are good life decisions. 
Um, definitely. I love how everyone has a show like that because for me, it was Battlestar Galactica. That was mm. the show that I binged four seasons in probably a week yeah. or so. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was definitely the first experience I ever had of that. And I don't think I've ever binged anything like that since. Watching five seasons of a show where each episode is 45 minutes long in one week. I I don't think I've ever done that again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then the other reason, and Geneva, I think I've definitely told you this, but mm-hmm. that show was also really important to me because it created this this new rule that I have whenever I watch a TV show which is that whenever I watch a show, I always give it six episodes before I give up if I don't like it. Because Mm. Mad Men was a show where, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I really struggle with women being treated in ways that are just disrespectful and inappropriate, and it's just hard for me to tolerate that. And Mm. those themes were very heavy in season one of Mad Men season is so hard to watch and they subvert that obviously as the show goes on but I didn't know that and so for me it was really hard for me to watch and I was like I don't think I can keep watching this but I'm gonna try and then by episode six I was obsessed and so (laughs) Mad Men literally created this rule that I have now for any show if I don't like it I will at least give it six episodes and if by episode six I'm not into it, then I stop. So thank you, Mad Men, for, uh, for giving me that rule in my life. Yeah, that's a good rule to have. There are, there are a lot of shows. Well, not a lot, but there, there are definitely other shows I can think of where the first season does not grab me. But somewhere along either the first season or, or maybe even toward the end and into the second season, at some point it does grab me. And then from that point on, I'm fully obsessed. But you really do sometimes with shows have to give them some time and let them establish themselves find their feet <clears throat> let the character the actors find the characters I think Mad Men fully like I feel like Mad Men was exceptional from the first episode I feel like mm-hmm. the acting was great the writers knew who the characters were I think it was fantastic it was just for me I couldn't get beyond the themes until Mm -hmm. I got kind of more used to it and I saw what they were trying to do with it. So I don't, at least in my opinion, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily what you were saying, but I don't think Mad Men was something where it was like, oh, I didn't really know what it was and then it found itself later on in the season. No, I think it knew what it was the entire time. (laughs) I just wasn't ready for it until episode six. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. There are other shows I'm thinking of where the problem is more that the show didn't know what it was or... Um, the the actor hadn't actors hadn't fully clicked into the characters they're playing, and that doesn't happen until later on. Or maybe there's a twist where the actors can't fully um, draw you in because there's aspects of their characters that haven't been revealed yet, and so you need to wait until that. But yeah, Mad Men clearly started out strong and just got stronger and stronger. Kept going. Yep. The only other thing I watched this week, well, not the only other thing. Um, well, two okay, two other things I watched this week. I watched Fellini's Eight and a Half. My Ooh, first time. I like that, that movie a lot. Yeah, I I liked it, but I um I I would like to see it again in maybe in another couple of years. Because I liked it, I liked the idea of it, but for some reason I found it difficult to fully enter into. And hmm. I think it might be easier on a, a second watch. Um but I just found something about the the way the character 
the story was presented, maybe I found it difficult at first to kind of grasp the way he flits between memory versus what is happening now and mm-hmm. to recognize when we're in some sort of a flashback or when characters from his past are intruding into the present versus the, who are the characters in the present. So by the by the end, I had much more of a handle on it and I was able to really, I really, really like the ending. But um, yeah, there's a little bit of distance for me there. So I would like to see it again sometime and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to appreci- appreciate what it's doing much better. Um, there is, there is a <laughs> lot you see a lot of um what's the word i'm looking for influence like this film had a lot of influence on david lynch's work i remember mm-hmm. watching eight and a half and that opening scene and i was like is this a david lynch movie is this <laughs> is this a racer head what's going on mm-hmm. what is this movie and then um you know after i finished the movie i did some research online and i was like is this just a coincidence did david lynch copy what's going on and then everything was like, no, David Lynch is very aware and he does this intentionally. He's not just like ripping off this movie. Um, but yeah, I like yeah, that well, film it's, a lot. It's such an influential film. I mean, the reason, one of the reasons that I wanted to watch it is because it had a huge influence on the movie All That Jazz, which is one of my favorite um, favorite musicals, favorite movies, I guess. Um, although I've only seen it once. I, sh- I should see it again before I call it a favorite. But I really, really love all that jazz. And it's a very similar idea of this creative person whose perf- uh, professional and personal life are kind of in a shambles and is sort of jumping between what is real, what is memory, what is not. And it, all that jazz does it in a slightly different way. Um, but you, you can very clearly see the influences. So yeah, really, really, really good movie. Um, and I really like. I'm gonna pronounce this wrong, but I think his name's like Marcello Mastri. Mast- yeah. yeah, I've seen him in lots of movies, and every time he's just great. He's a wonderful actor, also extremely attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just he's Italian. <laughs> he's Italian. So I don't know if you've ever seen the director Federico Fellini, who directed that movie. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen La Dolce Vita. But I, no, but I, I watched that movie for the first time a few months ago, and I I actually think that you would love that movie. It's mm. it is very long. I think I had to watch it in like three different sittings, but it's it's so 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 good. I it's, okay, yeah. I I would highly recommend you watch it. I think that you would love that movie. Okay. Yeah. I, that, that's been on my list of things that I've been interested in watching. So I will definitely keep an eye out for it and see when it comes onto streaming somewhere. I think it's on HBO max. I think that's how I watched it. Oh, is it really? I think so. I'm half is, I didn't realize La Dolce Vita was. I'm pretty sure that's how I watched it. Okay. All right. I'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, the other thing I watched this week is I rewatched the movie closer from 2000, I think early 2000s have you ever seen this Tatum I'm googling it right now because I'm not sure okay nope I have not seen it okay yeah it's uh, I believe it's an adaptation of a play or if it's not it feels very play-like because it's a very small cast it's basically two couples that sort of come together and then start having affairs with each other and there are different twists and turns and different interactions between them um and then kind of end up in a different place. It's a it's a really interesting movie. I I liked it a lot better the second time I saw it. The first time I I didn't really like it 
just because the characters are all such monsters. <laughs> Not all of them, I will say. I mean, uh, Natalie Portman's character is probably the most likable. Um, but all of them have their flaws, and some of them can be very difficult to watch <laughs> at certain times because of the choices they make. But it's a really... Um, and it's, it's very much a movie where it's just these people kind of do nothing except think about having affairs with each other. <laughs> Don't we <laughs> you know, all? They're very much bound up in their kind of their entire exi existence. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting movie. It's very, very well acted. And um, the dialogue is very sharp and interesting. And um, yeah, it's just very w well written if you accept the fact that this is a sort of heightened play-like theatrical reality where... Um, People don't necessarily act like real people. They act like people in a play. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very well acted. Um, particularly Natalie Portman is wonderful. Um, Clive Owen is really wonderful. I really wish Clive Owen would be in more things. I think he's a wonderful actor. Um, but yeah, so Closer. Um, interesting movie. Can be difficult to watch at certain times. But Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, you're watching enough things to keep this section alive because <laughs> I think that this is a good section to have in the podcast, but uh, if, if neither of us are watching thin. anything, then we can't keep it in here. So I'm glad yeah. that you're keeping it well, alive. Well, we can just have our little uh, five-minute Mad Men aside. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yes. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, such a good show. All right. Well, let's segue into the main um, discussion of the podcast. So yes, today let's, show... let's segue. Move. Let's yes. go into the foyer and have a conversation. <laughs> Make Can I sure offer you, you a bring drink? your wine and cigarettes. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't really drink, but Lloyd does. And so he set up a <laughs> set this up for me. Where's Lloyd? <laughs> Who? Lloyd? He's over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the 1950 film All About Eve, written and directed by Joe Mankiewicz and starring Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, Celeste Holm, and George Sanders. All About Eve tells the story of Eve Harrington, a young woman with a tragic backstory, who's taken in by her idol, an aging theater actress named Margot Channing. Margot initially enjoys having Eve around as an assistant, but she soon becomes suspicious that Eve is trying to steal the role that Matt Margot is performing on stage and is trying to drive a wedge between Margot and her director boyfriend, Bill. Sure enough, Eve's humble little lost lamb persona is all an act. She manages to manipulate Karen, Margot's best friend, and Karen's husband Lloyd, the playwright who writes all of Margot's roles, into first allowing her to, her to perform as Margot's understudy, and later to win a lead role that was originally intended for Margot. Along the way, Eve's scheming wins her the patronage of Addison DeWitt, a cold, cynical theater critic who sees right through Eve's lies. In the end, Eve gets the success and accolades that she wants, but it is a hollow victory. Having betrayed all of her friends, she's now trapped under Addison's control, while younger aspiring actresses seem poised to continue the cycle. All right, Tatum, had you seen this movie before? And what were your thoughts? Why, yes, Geneva. I had <laughs> seen this movie before, if you don't mind me saying. I don't know if it's okay for me to speak out about my opinions because I'm just a humble old little... Anyway. Um... Oh, Eve, don't be so modest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just in the presence of, of your genius, so I don't want to say anything that could 
just make you upset. <laughs> um, yes, I, I had seen this movie. It has been a few years. I'd only seen it once before. Um, and I, it was interesting this time around because the first time I watched it, I didn't really know anything about the story. And so I, I didn't really know about the whole, like, turn that Eve was going to take partway through the movie. And so I kind of figured it out along the way. Whereas this time I knew all along which really changed how I watched it. And it was actually a lot, I don't know if it's a lot more enjoyable, but it was just almost a different type of experience. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'd seen this movie before. Um, I really liked it the first time I watched it and I really liked it this time. Um, I think, I think that the acting is fantastic. I love, I love the story and how it's written and how all these different paths weave together and, um, I just find that there's a lot of, I like movies that kind of engage the audience and they make you want to yell at the screen. Don't do it. Why? No. <laughs> ah, how can you believe this? How are you falling for this? No, don't do the thing. Um, and this movie has that all the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really like this movie. I actually like every single character in this movie, except for Eve. I think that, even though Addison is kind of a slimy type of guy, I still think he, I don't know, I still like his character because I think he's very forward about who he is and everyone knows who he is and he's really good at what he does. Um, so yeah, I really like all the characters and watching the movie again this time, I just was watching it and I kept thinking, man, Betty Davis deserves an Oscar for this role. And then it's like, well, <laughs> that's why she won the Oscar because... <laughs> she's just phenomenal in this movie. Um, yeah, you mean and, what, why she was nominated for the Oscar? Uh, right, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I wish that there was, I, I honestly wish that there was more of her in this movie. I feel like towards the end, it kind of, you see a lot more of Eve than you see of Margot, which is fine. I see how that's important to the story, but I feel like Betty Davis's performance is just so captivating that I don't want her to go away. And she leaves and then she has this this last final line. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like You can don't put worry the trophy about your, in heart, your heart. Eve. You can always put that award where it should be. Right. Like yeah. So um yeah, I really like this movie. I'm glad that you chose it so that I could watch it again. Um it was probably gonna be a movie that I would rewatch again at some point, but I'm glad that I Watched it sooner rather than later. So, yeah, thanks for choosing it. This is a fantastic film. You're welcome. Yeah, I really love this movie. This is a movie that I... It, it's one of the movies that were uh, I was in, introduced to as a kid, so I've just seen it many times growing up. It had been a few years since the last time I watched it, so I, there are some details that I, I didn't remember. Um, but I really... Every time I watch it, I'm kind of astonished that it's written and directed by a man <laughs> which I mean not many things at this particular time period were not written and directed by men but I think it is such a insightful and um sensitive in certain ways depiction of women and acknowledges women as these fully formed fully faceted characters with agency and relationships to one another that involve men but also there are aspects of their lives that don't involve men um i love how 
you know, the the character of Margot and just how she is allowed to be this woman who, you know, she is getting older and that's something that's on her mind. But at the same time, she is this beautiful, vivacious, intelligent, strong woman who has these needs and desires in her life and she's not shamed for them in any way. She's um, she's given a, a love interest who um, appreciates and, and celebrates these parts of her life. Um, and I love the, just the, I mean, as you said, the acting in this movie is absolutely incredible. The Mar, uh, Betty Davis is Margot just, you, you really can't take your eyes off of her, which is always the case for Betty Davis. She was such a star, but I think Ann Baxter is Eve is, is just as good. You know, she has this sort of, um, sort of beautiful innocence about her face that can very easily turn into a sort of manipulative scheming you know quality which is so good for eve the first place i was introduced to her was in um the 10 commandments where she plays neverterious this sort of you know oh gosh actress <laughs> who is uh, torn between charlton heston yule brenner and trying to bring charlton heston to the evil side of um, that movie is hilarious Love that movie so it much. It is so funny. It is so over the top. It's so <laughs> <great>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think she's wonderful. Where she, you know, you can see why people are sucked in by her initially, but then also you see these hints throughout the the film of what she's really like underneath. And I think the the slow build to the re- full reveal of how far she will go is just really well constructed. Um, I think in general, the supporting cast is is excellent, too. I mean, this movie had five acting nominations, and they're all extremely well-deserved. Um, we, we can talk about it more, but just a, a shout-out to George Sanders, who's one of my favorite character actors of the era. He almost always plays some sort of cold, calculating, slimy he person. He does it so well. And he does it so well. So well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I I'm- really, really movie i'm looking at the cast on imdb i was not aware that miss caswell was played by marilyn monroe yes a very young marilyn monroe she looked like she was 15 (laughs) i did not recognize her at all yeah it was um that's it wasn't her first role she'd been in a few movies before this but she you know it was mostly uncredited or very small roles so this was kind of the one of the first few things that she did where she actually had a part and speaking speaking lines even though it's a small role and i think she's great in this very small role you can instantly see that she's a star you know she's so beautiful the camera just loves her she's very funny and the the few lines that she has is you know establishing her sort of ditzy blonde persona um Um, geneva i'm so sorry just mm-hmm. going on a little tangent here that I can cut out later. Oh, please. I Marilyn Monroe died when she was 36. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drug overdose. Accidental drug overdose. I did not even know that. Oh, you didn't know that? No, oh, I yeah. thought she died of oh, old yeah. age. So, no, good heavens. No, that's like part of her um, oh. the sort of star persona. The, the reason why we have so much fascination with her is the fact that she is so frozen in time because she died at such a young age. You know, she was this massive, huge, hmm. gigantic sex symbol and, and star. And then she died at such a young age. So tragically. And the last um, movie she did was Something's Gotta Give. Interesting. That movie was never actually completed. Yeah, she started oh. filming that. Um, 
but she died before it could be completed. Her last completed film was called The Misfits um, hmm. with uh, Clark Gable and Montgomery Clift, um, which I've never seen, but I've heard is pretty good. Wow. Okay. Well, my mind was just blown. Anyway, we can, yeah. <laughs> we can go back <laughs> which to Which actually, the... that reminds me, I definitely want to get a Marilyn Monroe movie um, in the podcast lineup at some point. I'm just trying to figure out which one to do. Probably. Um, I mean, we can do as many as you want. We don't have to just do yeah. one. <laughs> which one to do first, I should say. Yeah. I love Monroe. I'm a big fan of hers. And I think she was so talented. And um, yeah, I wish she had been able to have a longer career and had been able to break out into more um, dramatic roles the way she wanted to. But sadly, hmm. it never happened. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. That just blew my no, mind. No worries. Yeah. Anyway, all about Eve. <laughs> Back to the story at hand. <laughs> all right. Well, to start with, um, why don't we talk about just Eve, you know, the the titular character. Um, you mentioned that you're, you're able to find sympathy in, in most of the, the characters in the story, with the exception of Eve. One thing, as I was watching this movie, I watched this in two parts. I, I watched the first half last night, got sleepy, fell asleep, uh, finished it up this afternoon. And so the first half, you know, before Eve's villainy is truly, you know, fully revealed, I actually did have kind of a more sympathetic reading of her this time around. Um, then when I, I rewatched the the second half, um, where she really does go down into the depths, I was like, oh, maybe not so much. But I did find it really interesting, this idea of sort of generational cycles and how, you know, from Margot's point of view, the story of Eve Harrington is basically a horror story. You know, it's the younger generation who's coming up and trying to take away everything that you have. But from Eve's point of view, you know, she is someone who comes from nothing and she's trying to use all the resources she has at her disposal to make her way in a very difficult industry um, where connections or the willingness to sleep with powerful people are often the only currency that you have to make your way. And she finds a way to make it without doing either of those things to a certain extent but of course she does it in this very underhanded and manipulative way so i don't know i i found it really interesting this idea of you know the younger person trying to make their own way um coming from nothing and um yeah attempting to make it when they have no other resources at their disposal but then, of course, the way she does it is manipulative and, and hurts many people. So, yeah, I didn't ultimately come away sympathetic with her <laughs> to her. But I had that slightly more sympathetic read, at least during the first half. I don't know. What do you what do you think? Um, I hate her character. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I don't know if I hate her character because I don't like her or if it's because I'm jealous of her, because for me, mm. I mean, I'm not in theater, but I'm in the film industry and and I've been in the film industry for seven years now. Um, but what I really want to do is I want to direct. And so I'm in rooms and in spaces with people that are directors, producers, writers, all of those things. But I'm not like sneaking into their home which is impossible nowadays but it's like I'm not sneaking into their home and invading their privacy and forcing myself upon them 
to then just like use them to my own purposes and then take advantage of them and then finally get what I want and still act like an asshole. So I I don't know. I guess I just I think that there is there is legitimacy to having a desire of I have this dream and this thing that I want to go for and the only way to get there is by knowing the right people. Believe me, I get that. <laughs> but there are a lot of people that cheat to get to where they want to be. And I'm trying very hard not to do that um, because I would like to maintain my dignity. (laughs) Um, But I guess like, I don't like that she's willing to stoop down to that level. And also that she gets what she wants in doing that because I'm someone who likes to, I would prefer to live in a world where the people that, deserve to be somewhere get there and the people who are jerks who hurt people don't get there mm-hmm. but that's not the world that we live in so <laughs> um Sadly. yeah I I find her character to be very um she, I I just don't I don't like her at all and I especially I don't like the fact that when she finally gets what she wants she's just so disrespectful about it and she's not like she's not really grateful she's still kind of I don't like she recognizes that she's trapped when DeWitt is like, oh, you're mine now. I own you, whatever. She recognizes that she's trapped, but I don't think it doesn't really seem like she ever regrets what she did. It's kind of just like, oh, well, this sucks that now I'm in this situation that I don't want to be in. But I don't really ever get a sense that she's like, oh, I'm sorry that I uh, hurt people. She's not repentant at all. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said in the beginning, I don't know if it means that I don't like her or if I'm jealous of her. Maybe it's a little bit of both because I want what she has, but I don't want to be a jerk in order to get there. So that's what. And also, it's not that like it's not Mm -hmm. that easy to do that nowadays (laughs) because we see her getting into Margot's dressing room and then we see another person getting into Eve's. I'm like, this is not possible now (laughs) that sense I'm definitely jealous could I just get into someone who I admire could I just get into their dressing room and say hey I'll be your assistant and then all of a sudden show up you sponsor my entire career (laughs) (laughs) yeah well like that's what makes her such a good villain is that her motives are understandable and relatable but the way that she goes about them is you know horrible you know she is she is betraying people she is ruining careers she's ruining marriages she's using everything at her disposal and and absolutely has no regard for the the human beings on the other end of the her scheming yeah what um <laughs> we can give <laughs> just a five minute just testimony or uh you know, monument of praise to George Sanders as Addison DeWitt. As I said before, he's one of my favorite character actors you know, of this. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's so phenomenal. He's, he's wonderful in everything. He does, did get typecast quite a bit. He plays a lot of slimy characters. Um, not always, but, but quite often, but he's wonderful. I was really struck by this one moment toward the end where Eve, um, is it toward the end, actually? Where, where? Hang on a second. Let me check my notes and figure out where it is. Oh, that's right. Um, Eve is um, after her first performance as Marco's understudy when she and Addison are talking backstage, and he's sort of interviewing her for the column, and he's there. There's this 
this great exchange where they both know what's going on. You know, he sees exactly through Eve. He knows exactly who she is. She recognizes that he sees through him, through her, but she still isn't ready to drop her persona. And she's continuing to pretend as if she's, you know, this humble, you know, sweet person who doesn't want to toot her own horn. And he's like, well, maybe it's time. Maybe I can help you do that. And there's this great moment where he asks, um, oh, where do you want to go for dinner? And we can talk some more. And she goes, you take charge. And he goes, I believe I will. And just the the exchange between them, the the looks in their eyes is just, yeah, it's incredible. Just these two actors who, um, you know, these characters know exactly what is happening. But there's so much menace in the way he says it where you know, you really do get the sense at the end, Eve is on, she's out of her league, you know, by the end, she has gone as far as her scheming will allow. And now she is being controlled by this much, this person who's much more powerful, has been in the industry much longer, um, has the advantage of being a man, <laughs> you know, has the the power and the privilege that come with that. And so, I, yeah, I just find their dynamic really fascinating where he recognizes how um, manipulative she is and how willing she is to do anything to get what she wants. And he admires it, but he's also in, interested in using it, using it to his own ends, using it um, to kind of have the power of having someone under his thumb that he can manipulate. Yeah, th this movie is so much a movie about power and, and what people will do to get it and the pleasure that they take in getting what they want at the expense of other people um, just for the sake of it. Yeah, it's it's really chilling. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that, that scene? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there are two main scenes between DeWitt and Eve there's their first one when he when they're kind of sizing each other up and then there's the one at the end where he's basically saying no I'm the one in control and you're going to submit and there's nothing you can do about it and those two scenes are actually my two favorite scenes in the whole movie I think that just their just their dynamic and kind of like you were saying just them going back and forth and them competing and wondering who's going to come out on top but DeWitt knowing the whole time that he's going to come out on top and Eve not knowing who she's dealing with until it's far too late. And I feel like these, particularly their first confrontation, I was really able to appreciate more this time around because I knew what was going to happen. Whereas the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, he's asking her about the theater that she performed at in San Francisco. Clearly he's fishing for something, but like what's going on here? And this time I just knew, oh, oh no, he 100% is setting her up to, you know, and, um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I liked, I, I just, I like their dynamic a lot and how he kind of just completely flips the tables on her. And I like seeing her go down. I really do. Cause she sucks. And I like that DeWitt is the one who takes her down because he could take down lots of people and it seems like maybe he has in the past. He's that kind of journalist, but I like that we see him because I think just based off of how his character is established and how he interacts with Margot and other people, I think that there is maybe more of a vibe of when he takes other people down, it's kind of just like, well, this is just a part of the job. Like I just make money by writing articles that slander people. 
Whereas with Eve, it seems that he's genuinely like, no, you suck. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to destroy you because you're you're a toxin that just destroys people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really like... I really like watching them kind of battle it out and going back and forth. I found it to be very, uh, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating too, how she at the, you know, at the end of the movie, she talks about how she is leaving the theater behind to go to Hollywood, but her heart is still going to be in the theater and maybe one day she'll come back to reclaim it. Whereas earlier in the movie, when she's talking to Bill um, and he's going off to Hollywood to do a movie, she talks about it like it's, you know, why would you do that? That's the worst thing in the world. Why would you ever want to leave the theater? You know, the theater is the best place in the world. You just have no idea who Eve actually is and what, where her loyalties actually lie and what she actually believes in, apart from the fact that she wants success for herself. So I'm very curious I keep changing my mind at the end, whether the idea is Eve actually does not believe what she said earlier and about valuing the theater and not, you know, looking down on Hollywood. And, you know, if someone offers her the chance to do a movie, she's you know, eager to get on the plane and jet set off and go and do the movie or whether she is not eager to do it, but has recognized or perhaps is being forced by Addison to leave, recognizing the fact that she's burned all her bridges back in New York. And the only chance that she has is to go to Hollywood and try and and make it there. Um, I don't think I don't think she even knows. I think she's just it's like every day. Well, what's another opportunity that I can take in order to gain more power and more prestige? Oh, going to Hollywood's the thing that I should do right now cool and maybe I'll leave the door open for if I need to come back to theater Mm -hmm. because if it doesn't work out I can you know like I'm just gonna schmooze everybody and make them think that I love the theater so that if I have to come back then they'll open their arms for me which let me just say I was watching that scene I was like first of all there's no way anyone's ever going to give her that much time to make that speech no one is that important for someone to take like 10 (laughs) minutes let me say thank you to everyone here I might be going to Hollywood, but my heart will always be in the theater. (laughs) It's so long. And it's like, girl, no one cares about you that much. These award shows are formalities. Everyone wants to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I found her speech to be very interesting as like as an audience member to a movie. But if that was a real award show, it'd be like, okay, get off the stage. (laughs) (laughs) You've had your time. Let's move on. But. Yeah. And before we move on, I did want to say that talking about kind of DeWitt and Eve, uh, my favorite moment of the two of them is when they're walking down the street in New Haven and they've clearly got some like um, projected background behind them. And they're just, I don't know what they're walking. I don't know if it's a treadmill. I don't know what it is, but they're both just like slowly walking. It's like, oh, man, this is this is great. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One question I had about Addison as well. And I mean, genuinely, this could be um, could be just uh, a difference of the, the time period. But I wonder what the, the reasoning was for making Addison a theater critic and not a producer, because I feel like that sort of role of someone who now has an actress under his thumb and can make or break them. I could see that. Now that role would be served more by the producer, but at the time, I, I feel like Gossip 
columnists and critics may have had a more powerful role, not maybe not necessarily for themselves, but be, they were much more gossip columnists anyway. I don't know about film critics, but um, you know, people like Hedda Hopper or Luella Parsons were very much under the control of a powerful Hollywood studio, and they would be spreading the gossip in their columns, and they could be. Um, building people up or taking them down, ruining their careers if they stepped out of line. So I wonder if he's supposed to be kind of in that um, sort of mold, you know, the the person who has so much power in, in what he writes that he can make and break careers. But I was just like, I feel like nowadays no film critic has that um, sort of power, certainly not a theater critic. Um, yeah. Kind of an interesting that that's what his role is, but it also did remind me that just one of my favorite archetypes in classic Hollywood is apparently a some sort of a newspaper columnist or critic who seems to write columns every day, and everyone absolutely everyone reads them, and they can um, report on the goings on in the city, and they can make and break careers. And the other version of that I'm thinking of is in Laura, which is a movie that I'm hoping that we can do at some point. But there's a really great example of that in there. I mean, I think I think the fact that he's a a journalist is integral to the story, because I think the fact that she Eve, she meaning Eve, can use him to the point of, oh, well, if you don't go along with what I'm saying, he can write an article that will then make your husband not be able to write plays anymore or and he threatens her with, hey, I can write about your entire lie of your past. And then because of that you will no longer have a career and that's how he's able to gain control. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like at least in my opinion, him being a journalist makes a lot of sense for this story. I feel like if he had been a producer, it it would have been a totally different, I mean, they could have made it work, but they would have had to write it in a very different way to create that same sort of threat and dynamic, I feel like. Yeah, that's true. If he was a producer, he would have had to, you know, he could have spread similar information, but he would have to go to someone else in order right. for them write it yeah and I will say also um that I I think I almost forgot about this moment but the last scene in the movie I was really struck by this time around because I think I just forgot about it but the I think that Ann Baxter's performance as Eve is just so she does such a good job of she's really freaking annoying when she's doing her like you know humble whatever Oh, garbage. Why would you ever think about me? It's oh, I'm so, such a lonely person. It's so annoying and it drives me nuts that everyone falls for it. But at the end, when she like she literally becomes Margot and how she speaks and how she's moving and she's holding the cigarette and collapsing on the couch, like the staging suddenly so tired of it all, you know, so sort of weary, but also commanding, and she just, you know. Act, you know moves and acts as if the world is at her feet now she's a completely different person it's incredible yeah and and the blocking of that whole scene reflects and mirrors the blocking of that first scene it's very similar of I'm falling on the couch I'm smoking a cigarette someone get the door I it's just yeah it, I just I thought it was really really cool how the movie just kind of comes full circle you see the same things at the end that you do in the beginning it's two different actresses but they're giving the same performance doing the same things um 
Yeah, I just thought that that was really, really powerful. I, I just forgot that it ended like that. I remember mm-hmm. it ended with there being another young woman who comes in, but I forgot the dynamic of of Ann Baxter's, her entire voice, her entire del- delivery of her lines, her body language, everything is a totally different person. Um, and I think, yeah, I just think it's really cool. I think for the movie's purpose, it it suffices. I think in reality, I don't know if it would just be the you know, snap of the fingers and automatically she's someone else, but maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I really liked that last scene. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And shout out to the, um, the actress who plays the younger woman, Phoebe, she calls herself, um, Barbara Bates is the name of the actress and she is wonderful. And it's such a striking one scene performance. She, you know, the, the movie ends on her, on her face and on her body movements. And she's this character who has not, been in the entire movie she's only showed up right at the end but so much of the last scene depends on her performance and her interactions with Ann Baxter and with Addison DeWitt as he kind of can instantly see through her as well that she's basically the next Eve Harrington and her own mixture similar to to Ann Baxter's before of sort of innocent on the surface but you can see that there's deviousness underneath and yeah, I think she's really wonderful, and I, I, it's such a bold move to <laughs> end the movie on this completely new character who's, um, but who means so much symbolically for what the movie is saying. And I think I think the casting there was done really well. Yeah, and I I actually would love to see a sequel with Dewitt and Phoebe going at it. That sounds that's not <laughs> what I mean. Um, that would I mean. You want- theoretically maybe that would happen I don't know but I feel like I feel like even though Phoebe's character does mirror Eve's character there is a sense that she's smarter because Mm. when DeWitt is like asking her what so oh your name's Phoebe and she goes well I call myself Phoebe Mm. and so she's already right off the bat admitting to someone who she knows is powerful this is kind of all a facade and I'm here to play a game and he's like all right, let's roll. Like, let's do it. You know, go talk to Eve, figure out how she did it. And then we can do this together in a different way. And I like how she, she's a reflection of Eve, but she's also an evolution. She's a different iteration of that character. And, um, and she could probably maybe even be more maniacal. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but I would love to see a sequel between these two characters where it's just the two of them taking over the world. Um, because I feel like it sets that up, but yeah. Yeah, could be. Which, by the way, just um, this is not an actual sequel, but apparently uh, years after this movie, the plot was adapted to a Broadway stage play or possibly musical. I'm not sure. That's very but, meta. Um, it was called Applause. It wasn't called All About Eve. But when the original actress who played the Margot Channing role left, Ann Baxter actually played it for a while. Oh, so wow. It kind of was. Yeah, it kind of was the cycle hmm. <laughs> continued. In a certain sense, yeah. So that was cool. Can Which, we just, by the way, can we can we take a few minutes to talk about Gary Merrill and Bill's character? Because I yes, think please. that Bill might be my favorite character in this whole movie. Well, no, I think Addison Dewitt is, and Karen's great too. There's a lot of great characters in this movie, <laughs> but I really Karen and Bill are definitely the most likable characters. I would say not not the only sympathetic characters, but the most likable. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like with him, a lot of times when I watch these kind of movies, I just am waiting for the husband to be the one who's like, yeah, I'm a liar. I'm going to leave you and go be with this other person. I'm Mm -hmm. gaslighting you the whole time. I'm telling you that I'm loyal. And then I turn around and I'm actually seeing someone else. But Bill is genuinely committed to Margot. and yeah, it's he, really refreshing. He helps pick her up when she's down. He supports her. He also, like, yells at her to come to her senses when she needs to. On her when she's in, being. But in a way that's really, like, out of respect for her and not being abusive, but being like, you, like because I care about you and I know what you're capable of, you need to stop acting this way because you're your own worst enemy. All of your thinking is a lie. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. All these people are here for you. Stop torturing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I just really loved him as a character. And I'm really glad that they got back together and that they're supposedly getting married. And I really liked at the end how, how Margo was like, I don't need to have this role of what's her name? Uh, Cora. Cora. I was thinking Carol of, of Cora because I have a life to live. And I was just like, yeah, you go live your life. You guys go live your <laughs> life and have fun and just be joyful and get out of this place. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked his character. I thought that he was a very supportive, caring husband and, um, yeah, I liked him a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I think the two of them have really wonderful chemistry too. Um, they, I, I discovered while I looking this up, the two actors actually got together in real life, Betty Davis and Gary Merrill. Um, they ended up married for 10 years. And you can, you can really see the chemistry between them. Um, they do such a good job of establishing them as a couple who's been together for a long time. And there is just so much familiarity between them. And you can, you get the sense that they, you know, they fight a lot, kind of, the enjoyment of fighting is part of the the charm of their relationship. Um, but also that there is a lot of, yeah, genuine respect and care between the two of them and that he, he values her as this whole person. He values her for, um, for her strength, for her intelligence, for her talent. Uh, he's not intimidated by it in any way. And he's totally willing to, except the fact that he's dating this woman who, you know, because she's an actress, you know, she can be very, very emotional and very uh, demonstrative (laughs) with her uh, emotions sometimes, but he's totally willing to dive in and try and pull her out when she kind of goes on a a mental spiral. And just the fact that too, I mean, you really don't see older woman and younger man um, together as a sort of, especially when it's a successful older woman, you don't see that paradigm as a, um, you know, a successful and relatively healthy relationship very often, even nowadays, let alone at this time. But um, it's depicted here and it's really refreshing. And yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed their dynamic. He does not look 32, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> no. Like he, 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 he does was not... like 35 or so in real life, 35, 36, somewhere in there. Yeah, he does not look 32. <laughs> Um, yeah, so as a counterpoint then to, um, Margot and Bill's relationship, I found it really interesting thinking about Karen and Lloyd's relationship this walk, this time around. Uh, there was a, a, a line at the very beginning of the movie that I hadn't caught on previous watches, but that stuck out to me this time around, which explains that the two of them met when 
Lloyd came to lecture at Radcliffe, where Karen was a student. And I mean, that sort of thing, you know, a lecturer, teacher, <laughs> having a relationship with a college student, it's not as uncommon. It wasn't as uncommon at the time as it is now. It's kind of frowned on now. But I think it really does speak to something in their relationship. The fact that Lloyd really seems to appreciate, you know, he, he seems to look at Karen as this sort of innocent, naive, um, you know, person who's in the position of learning. Um, and when we see, as we see Karen throughout the movie, start to understand more and more about what Eve is capable of and become more cynical about um, the lengths that she'll go, then Lloyd seems to lose interest in her and he's transferring it over to Eve, who is, you know, as we said before, putting on this whole little, oh, I'm so, you know, innocent. I don't know what's going on. I'm so modest. I'm so humble routine. And he's really pulled in by that. I think that speaks to something in what he's looking for in a woman. <laughs> you know, he wants to be the the protector, the educator, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I was just kind of fascinated by that little dynamic. I mean, I don't, I don't think Lloyd's a bad person necessarily, but he does seem to have that this weakness in his character that he it allows him to be drawn in by Eve. Um, it's not directly stated, but it seems like he is seduced by her at some point. They have some sort of a fling, um, although he is with Karen at the end of the movie. Um, but yeah, she is able to exploit that that in in uh, quality in him. Yeah, I. I don't particularly like Lloyd, actually. I think he's kind of not a good guy. But I will say the one scene where I did really connect with him was the scene when he comes home and he's telling Karen about having seen um, Eve give her performance at the audition. And he's like, she's everything a, a playwright, a director would want to be. She's this, she's this, she's this, she's this. And Karen literally says, you're running out of adjectives. <laughs> and I just really just empathized, I guess, with that, with the struggle that he's facing of this actress is giving me everything that I want for this performance. But I know that I can't choose her because of all of these other reasons. But... I kind of care about my art more than these other things, but do I care about my art more than these other things? I, I really liked that kind of um, just perspective of his character and him having that that one moment where it did kind of feel like he's he's the protagonist in this scene. And um, he has that line I, about I, finally not not to have to compromise my artistic vision, something like that. Yeah, I liked I liked seeing the world through his eyes in that scene because we don't really see we kind of just see him as a pawn in other people's stories, but I feel like in that moment we see why he's invested in everything that's going on. So, yeah, I like that moment. I don't think Lloyd is a good guy, but I did I did like that moment that he had. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was a interesting little little dynamic there. Yeah, um just thinking about Margot um yeah, I feel like we've barely talked about yeah, her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's such a huge part of the the movie and she's such a she's such a fascinating character. She really is. Like I said before, Betty Davis is such a captivating performer and she really has this incredible quality to make a very complicated woman who can be very abrasive and rude and needy 
and um, self-destructive at times, still extremely likable and sympathetic. And you, you just want to root for her to win, even though she's being, even when she's being just um, paranoid and pushing away all the people close to her. Um, yeah, you still can't help but be on her side. I love how the people that are close to her in her life, how they interact with her, because it's almost like they might explicitly say this in the movie at some point, but I feel like they have this vibe of this is not the first time we've seen <laughs> Margot behave like this. And they're like, "Uh oh, they were. <laughs> we've seen you like this before, Margot. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. And there was one there was one particular line that I wrote down, which was we know you. We we've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? <laughs> and I think that Karen was the one who asked her that. And I thought that that was really, um, I just really liked seeing how they all kind of interact with her. Sometimes Bill is literally, I need to tackle you to the ground and tell you to listen to me. And then sometimes it's like, we just need to ask you witty questions or whatever. But Margo's kind of just going to do her own thing. And um, another quote that I wrote down, I think Margo's the one who says this, but or. Actually, Geneva, maybe you can remind me who says it. It's just a a line that I really liked. But someone asks someone a question and then they respond and they say, do you want an argument or do you want an answer? Oh, that's Birdie. Birdie responds to that when Eve asks, or not Eve, Margot asks her what she thinks of Eve. And then Birdie goes, do you want an (laughs) argument or do you want an answer? Which I guess, again, is an example of people interacting with Margot, kind of knowing that she could flip and and kind of freak out at any moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like she can be a reasonable person, but she's not always a reasonable person, depending on the mood that she's in. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, I love the character of Birdie. I mean, Thelma Ritter, um, the actress who plays her, is just another one of my favorite character actors of this time period. Um, She's in, um, she's also very well known for Rear Window, um, but she, she's in a lot of movies playing similar characters to this kind of the wisecracking um, support character who can be a voice of reason at different times. And she's always wonderful at it. And I love the fact that she is the first person who recognizes that there's something suspicious about Eve and at the time, Margot kind of attributes attributes it to just jealousy slash um, Birdie is just kind of abrasive and suspicious of everybody and she doesn't have a heart so she can't recognize, you know, true um, suffering and tenderness and things like that when, when they're right in front of her. And Birdie's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Um, but then we start to see, like, you know, she's I feel like- right. Sorry, I feel like Birdie, Birdie is a true professional. She's like, I know what it takes to be an assistant or, or a maid or whatever to somebody. And I do that. And I do that very well. What Eve is doing is crossing boundaries. This is not normal. Mm-hmm. I've done my job for a long time. I do it well. I know how this is supposed to be done. And what she's doing is all wrong. It's too far. You need to wake up and recognize there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think it's very clever that Birdie is the first one who figures it out. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And Birdie is herself a performer. You know, she there are references to the fact that she used to be on the vaudeville stage and she probably saw all sorts of, um, you know, different types of people and um, a whole cross section of humanity when she was doing that. And you get the sense that she is really worldly wise you know she's able to read people very quickly and um recognize what's going on and 
that char characteristic is kind of ignored by Margot at first, but you know, we, we do eventually see that Birdie is right. Birdie does kind of disappear from the second half of the movie, which is a shame. I wish she was had one more scene maybe later on. I don't know why that that decision was made. But maybe um, a scene got cut. Maybe they filmed it and it got cut. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very possible. Um just about Betty Davis as, as Margot, I was reading when I was um, doing a little bit of behind-the-scenes research for this episode that Margot, as originally conceived, was a more sort of classy, for lack of a better word, character. You know, she's kind of more um, upper crust, more kind of humorous. But Betty Davis, her specialty really is in creating characters who are more... Um, kind of more complicated, often kind of lower class, um, who are, you know, have gone through a lot of struggles to get where they are. Um, people who can be very sort of forward and, um, um, yeah, really speak for themselves and, and, um, go out for what they want, things like that. And I think those are such essential qualities to Margot. It's really difficult to imagine anyone else in this role. Um, but yeah, Betty Davis is so wonderful. This Oscar season, by the way, I just have to <laughs> give a little shout out because this is, this is possibly my favorite Oscar race of, um, all time is the best actress Oscar race for 1950 because it was Betty Davis as Margot Channing in this role. Anne Baxter was also nominated in lead for this role. This is the first time that two actresses had ever been from the same movie had ever been nominated for, um, against each other in lead. This was also the year that Gloria Swanson was nominated for Sunset Boulevard. And then um, Eleanor Parker for Cage, which is a movie I've never seen. I, I'm not super familiar with it. But the winner that year was Judy Holliday for Born Yesterday. And so this is kind of a famous year because it's Betty Davis in a career best performance, Gloria Swanson in her career best performance, and they're both beat out by Judy Holliday in a performance that I absolutely adore, and I love. The oh, I thought you were going to say you didn't like it. No, I was like, oh, I that's love interesting. Born yesterday, <laughs> and I love Judy Dave, Judy Holiday in it, and um, I think some people can be kind of, you know, Betty Davis or Gloria Swanson should have won. Which I mean, you know, on the quality of their performances, it's hard to argue against that. But I love Judy Holiday's performance in Born Yesterday so much that I'm kind of glad she won just because she didn't have a very long career and she's so wonderful in that movie and comedic performances are not um, recognized very often. And so I'm just just really glad she won for that. But it's just it's such a fantastic year. You know, it's such a gluttony of riches um, that particular feel, feel free to get offended by this statement, Geneva, because you've seen both of these mm -hmm. movies more times than I have. So I could be wrong. But I, I find it interesting that I feel like the the role of um the role of Betty Davis as Margot and then the role of um I don't know actors' names uh uh Gloria Gloria Swanson in uh in Sunset Boulevard I find their roles to be pretty similar in certain ways of there are these kind of celebrities who are slowly losing their minds uh, they're well they're I think both that, playing aging actresses who right have difficulties accepting that come with you know that come with the fact that they're accepting that their careers are either over or on the wane um and they're you know they're very different in many other ways but there is that similarity yeah so i i find it i find it interesting that 
these two lead performances in these two fantastic movies that they're kind of going head to head. And I, I mean, I agree that Gloria Swanson's performance is phenomenal, but at the same time, I think it's just as good as Betty Davis. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that one performance is better than the other, which is kind of what you were getting at of this year was just so yeah. competitive. So I, I genuinely you easily, wonder. You can easily imagine that the one canceled the other out you know, because they are so similar. Split. Yeah, I I was going to say, like, I, I genuinely wonder how close this race was and why it was that Gloria Swanson won over Betty Davis. Like, what was the reason? Because... I, you mean, um, again, Judy Holiday won over or, Gloria Swanson sorry. and Betty Davis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah I think yeah. you're I'm right. It's a very interesting year. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Anything else about Margot Channing, um, that we want to talk about? I mean, I feel like there's so much to say, but I don't, I don't know. I just think that I love, I absolutely love Betty Davis. And I think that this is just one of her best performances, if not her best. And I mean, I feel like the I don't know. I don't want to just like repeat scenes and things that she said because there's so many lines in this movie that she delivers with so much just like fury and frustration and sadness mm-hmm. and grief and ability. I really, yeah. really love the scene between her and Karen in the car um, when they get stranded because Karen siphoned the gas out of the tank, unbeknownst to Margot. <laughs> um, But the way, you know, after her, Margot having been kind of storming and yelling at people and um, stomping around because she's, um, you know, she recognizes what Eve is doing, even if um, a lot of no one else has really recognized it yet. But she's also not fully sure if she's being crazy or not. But she has this wonderful moment um, where she opens up to Karen and talks about how... um, uh, like I, I don't even ha- know how to parse how much she <laughs> you know exactly what she's saying but you know she apologizes for the way she's been acting she has this great line where she's like infants act the way that, that I've been acting <laughs> you know they stop around and shout you know when they they can't get their way but she also talks about how you know she is a successful actress but she also wants to feel like a woman and um she feels really insecure with with Bill because she feels like he sees her as an actress. You know, he sees Margot Channing, the the persona, but he doesn't love her for her. And she really wants to be with someone who she knows actually loves all of her, especially considering the fact that her career is going to be coming to an end or at least, you know, declining within the next 10 years or so. Um, and it's, it's just a really lovely little quiet scene where she shows so much vulnerability and so much intelligence about who she is what she wants out of life um her relationships um what her career is likely to look like and um i definitely like to think you know i think bill eventually proves her wrong and that he he i think does love her for her and you know i have a lot of optimism about the future of their relationship but you know you can also see why she's nervous about fully committing herself to someone that she's afraid is going to go away once her um the the glamorous part of her career is over. Yeah, but again, just to reiterate what I said earlier, you know, I think this movie, you know, it's maybe not 
flawless. Um, I do but, say, oh, I ahead. will say as a, I don't know if I would call this a flaw, but one of the things I did note while watching this movie this time around is I do think it's too long. I do think that there's, I feel like they could cut a fair amount of this movie off and, and have it be a little bit, I don't know, just a little bit more tightened up. Yeah. yeah. How long is this movie, actually? I didn't. It's two and a half hours. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't necessarily feel that way. But again, I, I did break break it up into two um, viewings when I watched it. Um, But yeah, like, sorry, as I, as I was um, saying before, I don't think this movie is completely flawless. But I think considering, again, the fact that it is primarily about women and um using men are the men are basically there for the most part as props or leverage points for the the maneuvering between the different women um and that the fact that it's written by a man i think it's pretty impressive i think joe mankowitz does a great job and i do want to shout him out too he's um joe mankowitz is the brother of herman mankowitz of uh mank fame (laughs) uh the guy who wrote um citizen kane but Joe Mankiewicz was a really um, successful director and writer in his own right. And a whole piece of trivia that I found out while I was doing this research, um, he won back-to-back Oscars as director and writer between oh, wow. this year and the year before. So the year before hmm. this, he won director and writer for A Letter to Three Wives. And this year, he wins director and writer for All About Eve. And I believe that is the only time that's ever happened. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But he's also known for, um, he did the ghost in Mrs. Muir. He did no way out. He did suddenly last summer, the barefoot Contessa. Um, he directed the Cleopatra with, um, the famous Cleopatra with, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, so yeah, quite a, quite a successful career. Um, yeah. Anything else about all about Eve that you want to touch on? I I don't I don't think so. I mean, I wish I wish I could have just written down all of the incredible lines and quotes in this movie and we could just read them and talk about this line is great and this line is great. But there were just so many that I stopped writing them down. Yeah. It's um, so many like so much so many exchanges in this movie, you know. It's not a whole lot of one-liners. It's the exchanges between two people that are so fast and so witty. It's almost hard to capture them. Yeah, so I feel like that would be the last thing I would want to talk about, but I didn't write any of them down. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I mean, this is this is a great movie. I'm glad I got to watch it again. I think I think Betty Davis steals the show, which is not surprising. Yeah. Um, but all around, everyone is fantastic in this movie. Everyone does a really really great job, and um, I think I will say I do think that the acting is what carries this movie because I feel like. I don't know. Whenever I watch older films, I always try and look for, oh, what's the what's the film score? What's the cinematography? What's the production design? What's the costume design? I do think the costume design in this movie is amazing. Wonderful. Um, but aside from that, I wasn't really particularly impressed by which if there's any cinematographers listening to this, please shoot me an email and tell me why I'm wrong and why the cinematography in this movie is groundbreaking, uh, because I am open to being wrong about that. Um, but for me, it was kind of like, 
I feel like the acting of this movie was really, really what carried it. Everything else was kind of just there to exist, to create this world for the actors to live in it and perform, which I guess is a, a way of, of, of like a film set or production being perfect in and of itself. It's like, we only exist to give the actors what they need to do what they need to do. So in that sense, I guess it was super well done, but it's um, not a showily showily, you know, it's not very showy in its direction. I think Um, there are some really good, some really beautiful compositions. Like I was really struck by these, um, the shot at the end of the film when, um, Eve walks into her to- hotel room and she crosses the camera follows her as she crosses the room and goes to her um the little table where she has some drinks set up and there's a mirror over it and the way the camera is positioned as she's walking across you don't see anyone but then once she gets up against the mirror you can see the reflection of Phoebe um sleeping in the the chair and so you see that be- um a few seconds before Eve sees it and I thought that was just a very well of constructed and laid out shot but there's not a whole lot in there that's kind of you know really noteworthy in the sense of you know jumping out for attention um you know camera movements and constructions and things like that it's more um like you say it's it's more utilitarian to be a, a vehicle for conveying the performances yeah, the only the only particular shot that I was like, oh, that's a really cool concept was the one when um when Eve uh oh crap, why am I forgetting his name? Um when when Eve and DeWitt had their second confrontation and she goes into the other room and when they're talking back and forth, you don't even see her at all and like sometimes she doesn't even respond and all you hear is silence. And part of you is like, I wish I could see the panic she's going through, but it's almost better that you don't see it because then you can kind of just imagine it in your own brain. And then she emerges from the door and she's like, I'm going to get in the shower. Please stop talking to me. (laughs) I won't be able to hear you anymore. Um, But I I did like that choice of having her be be in another room and you just can't even see her reacting at all. You can sense her like intentionally putting distance between herself and Addison so that she can try and figure out, you know, think through what to do, what to say, how she can keep up this charade um, with him. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, speaking of Academy Awards, so this film was nominated for 14 Academy Awards, which is tied with Titanic and La La Land for the movie with the most nominations. So um, those three movies have the most nominations ever. Uh, one can six, I uh-huh, can, can I just point out that uh, yeah. Return of the King has the most wins? Oh, may indeed. It, it's it's tied with Titanic and uh, and Ben Hur for the most wins. But what is that like? Ten wins, eight wins. Oh, no. It was 11. Wow. And Return of the King won every single Oscar it was nominated for. Wow. And Titanic only won some of the Oscars they were nominated for. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Just... Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> All About Eve won six of the Oscars that it was nominated for. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for George Sanders, Screenplay, Black and White Costume Design, and Sound Recording. Oh, I'm really glad that George Sanders got supporting actor. That's yeah, awesome. Me too. He deserved it too. for sure. I mean, I don't know who else was nominated yeah. that year, but his <laughs> form- that performance up. was great in this movie. <laughs> on its on its own, very very well deserved, I think. Yes. Um, 
as I noted before, both Betty Davis and Ann Baxter were nominated uh, for lead actor actress um, in the supporting actress category. Both Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter were nominated, but neither of them won. The movie was a critical and financial success overall. Um, it made money. It was also very well reviewed. Uh, I pulled a couple of quotes from reviews of the time. Um, so Bosley Crowther, who was a, a columnist for the New York Times, called it a withering satire, witty, mature, and worldly wise. And he writes about Joe Mankiewicz. Obviously, he has been observing the theater and its charming folks for years with something less than an idolater's rosy illusions and zeal. And now, with the excellent assistance of Betty Davis and a truly sterling cast, he's wading into the theater's middle with all claws slashing and settling a lot of scores. I found um, Crowther's column really interesting because, you know, he's writing for the New York Times and he seems to be writing from the perspective of someone who is living in New York and very familiar with the the theater scene. And he, he focuses a lot on the way that it's satirizing the um, theater scene, the Broadway theater scene of the 19, early 1950s. And just the way he writes kind of reminds me of the excerpts we get of Addison DeWitt's writing in the movie. So kind of picturing Bosley Crowther as Addison DeWitt. Um, in Variety, Abel Green wrote, all About Eve is a literate adult film of the caliber that will do big league, big big town business. The basic story is garnished with exceedingly well-cast performances, wherein Miss Davis does not spare herself, makeup-wise, in the aging star assignment. Miss Baxter gives the proper shading to her cool and calculating approach in the process of ingratiation and ultimate opportunities, and the other principles mouth dialogue, which is real and convincing. So, um, and then... Um, one other so in the new yorker john mccartan writes uh, as the actress betty davis finally has a part that permits her to demonstrate in her high voltage style that when her talents are applied to something worthwhile she can really bring a great deal of authority to bear purportedly a woman of 40 in love with the younger man miss davis often in unflattering makeup jumps from comedy to pathos to hysteria with utter confidence and she winds up by transforming a most difficult character into a lady who however shrilly emotional commands the sympathy of one and all so I feel like I'm not thrilled about some of his um, phrasing. I don't think she has <laughs> unflattering excerpt. makeup at all. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. But um, I I definitely agree with her. His um, uh, high opinion of uh, Betty Davis's performance. If he, th if he thinks that uh, that is <laughs> unflattering makeup, he should not watch whatever happened to Baby Jane. I was about to say, you just wait, bub. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Betty Davis actually um, famously did do her make her own makeup on a lot of um, her movies. In uh, one of her breakout roles, maybe not breakout, breakout is the wrong word, but the first movies that really established her as a, um, you know, this woman is an incredible actress and also someone who's willing to dig into these complex and unlikable female parts is um a movie called um oh what's it called it's called of human bondage where she plays this cockney waitress who ends up dying of i think consumption and the scene where they discover her dead body betty davis did the makeup for it herself and she looks horrifying <laughs> <laughs> like she really looks like she's close to death it's very impressive. So, yeah, Betty Davis and unflattering makeup were um, uh, were 
a pair that uh, <laughs> was would uh, show up from time to time throughout her career. So, all right, final thoughts. So in terms of what about this movie has really moved or, or stuck with me, um, oh gosh, it's so hard to sum up. Um, Geneva, how many times have you seen this movie? That's a good question. Like I said, it had been a few years since the last time I watched it. But prior to that, I would probably rewatch it every couple of years um, throughout high school and college. So I'm guessing I've seen it at least five times. Um, okay. But then it, it had been a while since the last my last viewing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think I just I really love the. I love how female focused this movie is again, you know, I love the, the fact that it's really delving into the lives and careers and balancing career with family and um, grappling with ambition and the right way to go about it, wrong way to go about um, ambition, you know, women being forming friendships with each other and betraying those friendships. Um yeah, just that that focus really does. Um, I really value that a lot in this movie. And yeah, again, this just this time around, like you said, I, I really love the relationship between Margot and Bill and um, how sweet their relationship can be at certain times. Um, tempestuous, but there does seem to be a, a genuine sort of respect and some some level of healthiness in the way that they challenge and push back on each other but um ultimately seem to value each other as um independent human beings so yeah what about you anything that kind of particularly moved or moved you or stuck out to you i think kind of going back to what i said before it's really just the acting in this movie that gets me because everything else is it like i said before it just kind of exists um, but the acting is what takes this to a place that's just so elevated. And um, every performance is great. I love, I just love the delivery of every line. I, I believe that the characters believe everything that they're saying. Um, these characters feel like real people. Their friendships feel real. Their relationships feel real. The tension feels real. The jealousy feels real. Um, none of it feels like, oh, well here's the main character and let's just give them a friend so that they can be a more rounded out character. I believe that they're friends. I believe all of these relationships. And I think part of that is because of how it's written, but I think another big part of it is because of the performances. Um, so yeah, I just, I love the ensemble cast. I think, I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. Could not agree more. All right. Tatum, do you want to share what movie we're going to be talking about next week? Sure. Yeah. So next week we will be talking about one of my favorite films made by one of my favorite directors of all time. He was my favorite director for a long time until I started watching more movies. And now I'm like, you know, he's he's one of my top top, but he's not like my favorite because I don't think I could say I have a favorite. Anyway, you don't need to know all that. Um, <laughs> But next week we'll be talking about Pulp Fiction directed by Quentin Tarantino. Um, talking again, talking about competitive Oscar race years. I feel like yeah. the year of Pulp Fiction has gone down in history as being one of the most competitive and also one of the most unjustified win <laughs> winning um, Oscar ceremonies of uh, the history of the Academy. So um, looking forward to talking about that. And uh, I am so excited to talk about a Quentin Tarantino movie with Geneva. 
I'm super excited uh, because I, I mean, you know this, I have not seen Pulp Fiction, so very yeah. excited to watch it for the first time. And also, you haven't seen many Tarantino films in general, I feel like, and the ones you have Ooh. seen, it sounds like you haven't liked them very much. Well, no, that's not the case, really. I, I really liked Inglorious Bastards. I liked it, though I had some mixed feelings about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um Okay, gotcha. But Pulp Fiction, just from my impressions of it, I'm not sure if I'm going to like it as much, but we'll see. I'm going to keep an open mind. Oh, <laughs> I love Pulp Fiction. It's definitely, it, I mean, it's it's a similar vibe in the sense that it's a, Quint, it's a Quentin Tarantino vibe, but within the realm of Quentin Tarantino movies, it is, it's definitely a different vibe than Inglourious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I, I, I love this movie. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're discussing next week. Great. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.